Jim for bringing our prayer today and for we prepare for today's message while I'm getting the stand set up. If you want to uh, turn to your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, that's where our lesson will be, chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. It's good to see you all. Our family took a little time last weekend to get away and enjoy Colonial Williamsburg. As we were away, I had the opportunity to see one of the most spectacular sunsets on the James River, I believe, that I've ever seen. And then it was wonderful to wake up and go for an early morning walk and to see the river again in its vast beauty. As we pray together, I want to invite you to imagine uh, that beauty, and then we will turn to the Word of God. Let's bow our heads together. Almighty God, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. And God's people said, Amen. The epistle to the churches in and around Ephesus. Paul writes, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord, in the Lord Jesus, and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. That you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power, Paul writes, is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand. In the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him, Christ, to be head over everything for the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Even at its normal level, the James is a mighty river. Of late, the rains have brought it high up to some record levels. The James River is amazing. You know that we even have our own port right in the city of Richmond that giant sea vessels can come and bring their goods and then take them to other places. Did you also know that the James River has as its headwaters two rivers way out in the western part of Virginia? One of them is the Cow Pasture River. And the other is the Jackson River. 
And they converge just below Clifton Forge, Virginia. And that is where the James begins. That's the headwaters. Now, if you're like me and like maps, you might go a little farther here, a little farther, further, whichever it is, and explore the cow pasture and the Jackson. And you can see that even they have their source. These are small bodies of water that come and they converge to make that big river, the James. When we trace these rivers, eventually we get to the source. Many years ago when I was in seminary, I interned at Richmond's First Baptist Church, and we took a group of young adults to a retreat center called Headwaters Lodge out in Headwaters, Virginia. And that is where the cow pasture has its source. It's really amazing to think about something so vast as the James River starts out in a little place near Headwaters, Virginia, as the Cowpaster River. If you search far enough, you'll find the source. We know the source of the James. <clears throat> I want to suggest that when we express gratitude, when we say thank you, <clears throat> that we are acknowledging our source. The word thank, if you look it up in Webster's Dictionary, comes from the same root as the word think. So if you look up thank, it'll say, see, think. And if you look up the word think, it'll say, see, thank, think, thank. Same root. When you think about it, when we express thanks, we are thinking about the source. We are acknowledging the source of all of our blessings, of all of the things we have received, the gift, the compliment. We are saying we know who is responsible. We go to the headwaters, our God. We trace the origin. We acknowledge the source. So says the hymn writer, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. We praise our source when we give thanks. The psalmist says it like this, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. To Him who alone does great wonders, who by His understanding made the heavens, who spread out the earth upon the waters, who made the great lights, the sun to govern the day, the moon and stars to govern the night, His love endures forever. Like the hymn writer and the psalmist, the Apostle Paul, in our text, seasons his words with doxology. He acknowledges the presence and the power and the supreme authority of God, the glorious Father. Paul knows the source. His words are more than prayerful. They are prayers in of themselves, full of thanksgiving. Prayer full of thanksgiving to the source of all that exists.
It's tempting for us Christians, though, to get nostalgic when we think of Thanksgiving. Some will debate over whether it was Plymouth or Jamestown. Save that for your Thanksgiving table. Some will debate over whether it should be honey-baked ham or butterball. Others, stuffing or dressing, sweet potatoes or yams, biscuits or rolls. But Thanksgiving for us Christians is more than an American holiday. If you think about it, Thanksgiving is a way of life. Thanksgiving is really the root of all prayers. Thanksgiving, I believe, is doxology. Perhaps we could express it like this, living doxologically, but the rhythm of worship and thanksgiving in our hearts. Every time we pray, dear God, we acknowledge the divine source. Every time we pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, we appeal to the author and perfecter of our faith. When Paul wrote the letter, a portion of which we just heard, to the churches in and around Ephesus, he was imprisoned in Rome. It's generally agreed upon that he wrote Colossians, Philippians, Philippians, Philemon, as well as Ephesians from Roman imprisonment. He wrote to encourage the churches in around the area of Ephesus. And like most of his other letters, he took time to express thanksgiving. As you heard Pastor Aaron share, thanksgiving for the Christians, that he appreciated them, thanking God for them, just like we thank God for you. He expressed thanksgiving. I want to suggest that, as, that he was not just imprisoned by the Romans, but that he was shackled in thanksgiving. He writes, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you and remembering you in my prayers. I'd like to point out today the ways Paul expressed this gratitude. It's more than an obligatory prayer at the dinner table or checking a dogmatic box for religious purposes. Paul's thanksgiving prayer is directed outward and upward. Outward and upward. Outward. It's directed to the community of disciples, those whose faith had led them to have a spirit of wisdom and hearts enlightened. Because of that new faith in Christ, Paul declares that the faithful know the hope to which he has called them and that they might revel in and reveal the riches of His glorious inheritance, that is, a new life among the saints. His thankfulness is for the faith of those who confess a commitment to Christ and who live life based on that commitment. Outward. And then upward. He follows that outward prayer of thanksgiving with an upward expression of thankfulness and praise. He acknowledges the source of the Ephesians' faithfulness. He traced it all the way back to the headwaters. His thanksgiving is upwardly founded and outwardly grounded. 
His outward gratitude would not be complete without His gratitude for the upward divine grace that made such faith possible. Paul is expressing an ultimate thankfulness that's directed upward, heavenward, toward the power of God who raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at the right hand of God in the heavenly places. Paul's upward thankfulness is for the revolutionary metamorphosis that took place when Christ raised him, when God raised him from the dead, and redemption became a reality. For Paul, Jesus is life's meaning maker, the foundation of his gratitude. In chapter 3, listen to what Paul would write. He continues praying for the people. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all God's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Filled to the fullness with His fullness. And then he writes, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine, according to the power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And then he said, amen. And in chapter 4, he continues this prayerful attitude of thanksgiving. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body may be built up until we all reach the unity of faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we shall no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by the wind of every teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, he writes, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I am thankful that God has called us as His church, as the body of Christ. I am thankful that each one of you has a ministry, that each one of you has been gifted with spiritual gifts to serve and edify the body of Christ and to reach the community in the name of Jesus, to represent Him well. I am thankful that right now there are people in this room who are operating a live stream so that people around the globe can be experiencing worship along with us. I'm thankful for our musicians and Philip, our worship leader, and others who work so hard week in and week out that we might gather and worship, whether here or at home or in other places. That's just a small way that this church is at work, and I give thanks. What are you thankful for this, this Thanksgiving? Really? What are you really thankful for? Are you thankful that you get a long weekend? Are you thankful that you get a couple of days out of school? I know that you are, but 
when you think about the big picture. Is that what Thanksgiving is about? Are we thankful that we have a warm home and a lovely meal to sit down and enjoy? Thanksgiving is strangely focused, yet a very flexible holiday. Its purpose is clear, a time to give thanks. But what or who we give thanks for is left to us. When family members and friends work hard all day to prepare a wonderful feast with good food and a warm place to gather, certainly it's something to be truly thankful for. But the real thankfulness that Thanksgiving should bring out in each one of us is not a thankfulness for things. Thankfulness is not about where we are or what we might be eating or what our shopping strategy might be for Friday and the season to come. Thanksgiving must be rooted in a thankfulness for the greatest relationship we have ever been given. A relationship with the risen, ruling, and returning Christ who calls us through His faithful promised hope. A glorious inheritance. His incomparable power and to be filled with His fullness. May our lives be that of a prayer full of thanksgiving, filled with His fullness to overflow. May our lives be Eucharist. When Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper with His disciples, He took bread and He gave thanks. And the Greek word is Eucharistane. He broke the bread and He gave it to them. And He gave them the cup of wine in the same way with thanksgiving. When we celebrate communion on Sundays here, we do it with thanksgiving. Eucharistane. This word comes from two smaller Greek words. Eu, E-U, means good or well. And charis means grace or favor. One Greek scholar says that these two words compounded together describe, quote, an outpouring of grace and wonderful feelings that freely flow from the heart in response to someone or something far greater than we. In other words, grace is a response to our source. Of this grace, theologian Karl Barth said, grace always demands the answer of gratitude. Grace and gratitude belong together like heaven and earth. Grace evokes gratitude like the voice of an echo. And gratitude follows grace like thunder follows lightning. This week, will you reflect on the true meaning of thanksgiving? Will you and I acknowledge our source? of everything, the headwaters of grace. He is the source of the spring, of the river, of the water, of life overflowing to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. May we give thanks to the one 
who is our source. Let us pray. Almighty God, thank you for this time that we can be together. And if we uh, pause for a moment, we can think about the way that we even pray. How often is it that we begin our prayers with, God, we thank you. May we meditate on that throughout this week. As through grace, we acknowledge you as our divine source for life and love and forgiveness and redemption and life abundant in heaven. This we pray in Jesus' name.